Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Tuesday, October 10th. Obviously, what's driving the day here in Washington and around the world is the war in the Middle East. Joining me to discuss how the crisis is affecting Washington, at the White House, in Congress, and out on the 2024 campaign trail is national security reporter Alex Ward. Alex, let's start with the White House. I want to sort of go around White House, Congress, and broader 2024 politics and get a sense of what we know about the response from various political actors and how it may or may not affect things. Just just briefly, I know we could spend a long time on this, but let's start with the B.B. Biden relationship before this crisis. What was it like on the precipice of the Hamas attack on Israel? I mean, it was pretty rocky. I mean, one interesting thing is that Biden and BB get along personally pretty well. In fact, their personal relationship is perhaps one reason why the U.S.-Israel relationship was not fully broken. However, Israel's far-right government, the way it had been treating Palestinians, the settler movement, and a bunch of other factors were sort of hurting the U.S.-Israel relationship, save for the fact that the U.S. was working with Israel and Saudi Arabia to create a normalization deal. So it was very workmanlike. But you could tell it hadn't moved beyond that when Biden never invited Netanyahu to come to the White House for a meeting. So it's touch and go. However, Biden has made extremely clear the U.S. will always stand by Israel. Israel is always a great partner. So regardless of the current political turmoil or the the current moment, let's say, the U.S.-Israel relationship would remain strong on the broad end, regardless of how rocky it was sort of on the shorter end. Alex, more broadly, what are the implications for Biden's global priorities? The ones that are getting a lot of attention right now are Ukraine aid and the normalization agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Tackle those two. And and then also, if you think this is relevant to any of the other global issues and priorities of the Biden administration, add those to the list as well. So I think if we take a step back, we have to recognize that the number one overall big issue that the Biden administration deals with in foreign policy is the competition with China. Uh, Across the board, a fight for global leadership and supremacy on the world stage in order to stop China from overtaking the U.S. as the world leader. Then the medium term is the war in Ukraine and helping Ukraine stave off the Russian invasion, working with allies to do that. Right now, that war is kind of at a stalemate. Both sides unable to take much more territory. We're heading into the winter. There won't be that much more fighting or it'll be much harder fighting in the winter, I should say. So that's going to be not necessarily long term forever, but it is going to be a medium term fight. This now Israel's response to Hamas's terror attack. This is now the immediate top priority of the short term. Fixing this, making sure that Israel feels safe and has handled its issue and done in a way that doesn't necessarily lead to condemnation of Israel or how it handles, say, if, if it starts to care less about the, the civilians in, in Gaza will become the immediate short-term issue. And this is a kind of a, a big deal because, as we talked about a little bit, there is prospect of the Saudi normalization deal that with Israel, right? This puts this on the back burner. So solving this crisis lets that one get back, you know, in motion. There's also just the immediate sense of, you know, what will stopping a wider war from happening. There's already reports of Hezbollah getting involved with attacks in northern Israel, which case could this spread even further? How involved is Iran really? So it's important for the Biden administration to keep this as contained as possible. And of course, it's just the general, well, how strong is the U.S. in supporting Israel, which matters for our own domestic politics. So this is all the things that the Biden administration will be juggling in general, but even just the Israel-Hamas piece is already a minefield of its own. 
Uh, moving a little bit more to the domestic politics, let's talk about Congress, starting with the House. House Republicans will gather today to hear from their two candidates for speaker, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan. How do events in the Middle East affect that race, where already aid to Ukraine was a, a major flashpoint? Well, you heard uh, from Kevin McCarthy, you know, the ousted speaker recently, kind of not deny that he's interested in being speaker again, in, in part by saying, look, you know, this, the House cannot be leaderless at a time like this. Yeah, you know, I think more than not deny, he said he said he's interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, I mean, it seems like well, at least one McCarthy strategy will be we need to solve we, the Republicans, need to solve this issue fast because a leaderless house cannot help Israel. And so uh, I'm interested to see how much Jordan Scalise pick up on that and wh whether or not they will. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting is that the sort of Jordan wing of the Republican Party is usually, although they support Israel, you know, that's sort of a common position across the Republican Party and much of the Democratic Party. You know, that wing is usually less interested in talking about foreign affairs and using the powers of the house to to handle stuff happening abroad. And so that would be sort of a an odd place for Jordan to start walking into. He's just not as comfortable with those issues that say a Scalise or a McCarthy. So rhetorically speaking, that may be a disadvantage for Jordan, but I, I, I'm not a, a house expert, I should say, but my, my instinct is that while this may add some pressure to the house race, there was already the Ukraine Russia bit. So this may ramp up the tensions a little bit, but not necessarily turn this into overdrive because at the end of the day, it's still a domestic problem. Moving over to the Senate, there, there are at least two issues I, I see that are worth watching. Senator Tommy Tuberville has said that the war will not change his mind when it comes to lifting holds on military personnel, which he's now had in place for, I believe, seven months. And the Senate also has yet to approve the nominee to be ambassador to Israel, Jack Lew, the former Treasury Secretary. Do you think the war changes anything on these two issues? And what else should we be watching you know, it's not just Israel. There are also other ambassadors in the Middle East that we have not confirmed. And so I think you might see a push in that direction going forward. With the Tuberville thing, I mean, he's just not going to move <laughs> regardless. I mean, he said so. He's not, he's just not going to move. There are tons of other issues that he, he could have moved for. And if he's not going to do it for that, I don't, I don't think he's going to do it for this. So that is sort of its own separate problem. I imagine that the, the diplomatic side of this, the fact that the U.S. has tons of ambassadorial vacancies, I think that may be moving much faster than any military promotions. But I think the Senate is a place where you see a lot of unanimity on wanting to help Ukraine against Russia and wanting to support Israel against Hamas. And so I think there's a lot more maneuverability in the Senate than there's in the House. And that's even before there was the whole speaker issue. That would have just been the state of play even without a speaker vote. One thing on that, Alex, is I did see Josh Hawley making an argument of forget Ukraine aid, we need to focus on aid to Israel. And you see this sort of stream from folks on the right who are skeptical of Ukraine aid, but are pro-Israel basically saying, um, you know, it's a kind of either or proposition. Have you observed that same dynamic over the weekend? And do you think it's uh, going to be a problem for the Biden administration and could even jeopardize Ukraine aid, which was already sort of running into trouble with uh, House Republicans? I think it gives that wing a bit more ammo, but there is sort of a, let's say, underlying intellectual fault with their 
analysis here, or at least their their point, because their whole th- messaging about their skepticism of Ukraine has been, we can't focus on giving weapons and money and attention to Ukraine because the big challenge is China. That's something that Josh Hawley and his, you know, one of his intellectual allies, other Bridge Colby, have been saying forever. And now they're saying, oh, give Israel whatever it needs. Well, okay, then what about China then? So this was never really about China. It's that they don't think the war in Ukraine is worth the fight. They think that Israel is for it. But in which case, I think that's if I can poke the hole in their argument there, if I can find that discrepancy, I'm sure others will as well. And so I think they've opened themselves up to a little bit of, of criticism. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Finally, Alex, I've noticed two responses from GOP presidential candidates so far. The most common one has been to attack Biden, not surprising, for his engagement with Iran or for allegedly snubbing uh, Netanyahu, a range of issues. But Mike Pence also used the events over the weekend to make a case against what he's called Trump's isolationism, so actually going after Trump. How do you see the crisis playing out in the GOP presidential primaries? You know, I I think there'll actually be more unanimity than disagreement over this. I mean, it is, again, a strong Republican and a strong Democratic belief that Israel is is a key ally, give as much to it as possible. I know, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy has sort of put some conditions on Israel aid, but this was before this whole event, right? So one could imagine he's going to change his tune. But regardless, there's really no daylight between Republican candidates on how they feel towards Israel and what they really think the U.S. relationship towards Israel should be. Now, there may be some discrepancies down the line about, well, should we condition aid more? Okay, that's fine. But in the immediate term, and how it relates to this, I, I think there'll be more unanimity than not. Alex, thank you very much for breaking all that down. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And for your schedule today, the House is back, but the Senate doesn't return until next week. At the White House, President Biden will deliver remarks on the situation unfolding in Israel at 1 p.m. Later on, Biden will deliver virtual remarks at the U.S. Fire Administrator's Summit on Fire Prevention and Control. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening.